All right, take your Bible, please. But you don't know where we're going today, do you? Because we've been in either 1 John, 2 John, or 3 John since October. You don't know, unless you read the email. Anyone read the email yesterday? Where are we going? Colossians. I've been praying, Lord, where are we going to go next? I I didn't just want to open the Bible and go like this, you know, we'll go here. I prayed and, and and I felt the Lord lead us to a study of the book of Colossians. So for the next several weeks, this is where we're going to be. So we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 8. And um, I will share my heart on those, on those uh, scriptures. Uh, let, me, uh, let me read it right now. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren... In Christ, who are in Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it is also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declare to us your love in the Spirit. Father, Lord God, thank you for this uh, wonderful epistle. Thank you, Lord, that we have access to it. Thank you, Lord, that you inspired Paul as he was in prison to write this letter to this church, and now these many years later, by the work of your Holy Spirit, you're also teaching us something. Bless this message today, Lord. Bless this series of messages as we go through this epistle. Uh, May your presence lead us and guide us. May our hearts be open to receive what saith the Lord for us today. And Lord, as we often pray, in the process of this proclamation, preaching of your word, may you be glorified, O God, and may your people be edified. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So this is Paul's letter to the church of Colossae, which uh, is in present-day Turkey, not far from Ephesus and Laodicea, if you know where that is on a map. Um, But Paul's writing this letter to combat false teachings uh, which have uh, invaded the church. So the epistle is what you would call corrective in nature. Uh, Remember the writings of John. His letters were also corrective because false teachers came in and they had an antichrist spirit. This is similar to that, although this is 30 years earlier than when John wrote his epistle, which was probably around 90. We're we're in probably like A.D. 60. So this is about 27 years after the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. So 27 years of church growth. Uh, there was a church established in Colossae, or the, uh, the Colossians. Uh, look with me really quickly at chapter 2 
in uh, verse number 16, just a couple of verses here. Verse number, chapter 2, verse 16, Paul says, Let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. Verse 18 says, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his own fleshly mind. Look at verse number 20. Therefore, if, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. In other words, do this, don't do that, do this, it's okay, that's not okay. Which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion and false humility, and they neglect the, uh, the neglect of the body, but they are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So you can see that as we go through this epistle, the, the church of, of, of Colossae had begun to incorporate other things into the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I start out by saying to you all, the gospel is enough. Christ is enough just the way he is. We don't need to add to it, and we can't subtract from it. Today, unfortunately, in many churches, the gospel is, has been tampered with. Some churches, I'm just going to say it like it is, have incorporated some New Age doctrines. The sun and the stars and astrology, they have. Some have gotten into uh, superstitions or various philosophies of men that, that belittle and demean the word of God and the cross. Now this Gentile church of the Colossians was basically a, 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 a gent- they were comprised of Gentiles. They brought into their faith a, a background of paganism and heathenism. And some of the well-meaning Jewish-slash-Christian people were telling them to incorporate into their new faith in Christ other things. And so Paul took time, and chapters 1 and 2 are doctrinal in nature, where he says something like, In Christ all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. There's a lot of doctrine in chapters 1 and 2. In chapters 3 and 4, he gets into more practical application when he says, now it's time for you to be in Christ. Take off the old man and put on the new man. So there's doctrinal issues in 1 and 2, and there's application in 3 and 4. I love the way this is set up. But today, there's philosophies and, and scholarly research. I just use quotations by people that are very educated and extremely liberal, and they have changed the word's position on certain things, like morality, for instance, like uh, eternity, like heaven and hell, like sanctification and holiness, like the very, the very issue of life itself in some church settings is altered from the word of God. But I want to say it again. This gospel that we have is enough for us. We don't need to change anything. And you don't know how, how, what a relief this is from someone like, like myself, because I feel, sometimes I feel like we have to do something to get everybody. We have to do something to be more creative. Uh, you know what? The gospel's enough. It, it is. It is what it is. And so it, it gives me... <laughs> 
it, it, it takes me off the hook. You know what I mean? It takes you off the hook. The gospel is enough. The pure gospel is enough. Now, this letter uh, is personal for Paul. I, I, I like this. Uh, I want to just say a few things. Uh, there's some familiar names in this epistle. See how many of these names you, you remember or you recognize. Timothy's in here. How many know Timothy? Come on, you know, first and second Timothy. Paul's sidekick. Uh, how about, how about uh, Epaphras? I don't know if you know Epaphras. I don't know if you know Tychicus or on, um, uh, uh, Onesimus. There you go. Onesimus or Aristarchus. John Mark you might know, the writer of Mark. And Barnabas, his uncle, you would know. He's in here. Uh, there's a person named Jesus who, who's, whose other name is Justice. He's in here. Luke is in here. Demas is in here. The one that Paul wrote to Timothy, Demas has forsaken us. But right now he's with us. He's with Paul. There's Nymphus and there's Archippus. In the very last chapter, uh, Paul singles Archippus out. He says, you tell Archippus to fulfill your calling. I always liked that verse. He just got personal. Uh, as I said, this is one of Paul's uh, prison epistles. He wrote this from prison in Rome. He wrote four prison epistles, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon. And in chapter 4, 18, as he's closing this epistle, he says, Remember my chains. Some years ago, uh, we had a poster, uh, one of those long, like uh, eight feet by maybe two, two or three feet, and there were, there were chains hanging. And the caption says, remember my chains. But here in this book, in this epistle, we see a model of a thriving New Testament church. Not perfect. A lot of correction was necessary. But, but it's a model of a New Testament church. How it operates, how the structure is, responsibilities. It's a spiritual model. A physical model? I don't think so, because they probably met in homes. Like uh, some, some of the best candidates for this are Epaphras, Philemon, or Nymphos. But uh, it's a spiritual model. Now, we are a New Testament church, in case anyone's wondering. We're a New Testament church. There are some churches out there that would be described as really traditional or very liberal. We're Pentecostal. And we are what we would call a New Testament church. We're a, a full gospel church. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit for today. We had a tongue and interpretation this morning, praise God. We had a worship time, and, and we're always planned to have worship, but sometimes worship <laughs> develops a life on its own with, with the Holy Spirit. That's what happened today. We believe that miracles are happening today. We believe what Jesus said when he said, after the proclamation of the word, signs and wonders will follow. I believe that with all my heart. We pray for the sick. We pray for those that are troubled. And we believe that one day all this will end. The lion will come. We're very aware that the lion will come. The lamb has done his work. The lion's just waiting till the father says, go. And all this is going to stop. We won't be having communion anymore once a month or whenever we do it. We'll have communion with the Lord every single day. But see, we, this is what we teach and preach. We're a New Testament church. The rapture is going to happen. Sure enough, the rapture is going to happen. 
the second coming of Christ is definitely going to happen. So we're like in the middle of all this, you know. We're here, we're waiting for the next thing. The next thing is the trumpet and the church being raptured. We're a New Testament church. So I've entitled this message, uh, The Hope of Glory. Okay, now now I have to take a little time to talk about this to get it set up. So I want to go through the verses, uh, verse by verse, if we can. I promise it won't be too long. Somebody give me an amen. Amen. Somebody remind me if I get too long, because I could do that, you know, but I don't want to do that today. So let's start with verse number one. Then, Then after we do that, we'll get some application for what we're talking about. Okay. Paul the Apostle. I think it's interesting. In the first three words, Paul establishes himself as somebody important. He's in prison, but he's saying, you know, he's carrying out his pastoral uh, duties, his oversight duties. Um, Paul was never there before, by the way. He didn't, he didn't uh, develop this church. This church was probably a sister church of the church in Ephesus, because they're nearby. And... Um, uh, verse number seven, Epaphras is probably the pastor of this work, but, but Paul is the overseer. And from the very first line of the, of the letter, he says, Paul, an apostle. But he says this with a little bit of apprehension. If you know the story of Paul, he, he was not one of the 12. He wasn't one of the 70 that went out. He wasn't one of the 120 that were waiting for the baptism and the Holy Spirit. He definitely wasn't one of the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost that got saved. He got saved a little bit later on the road to Damascus, getting ready to persecute the church in Acts 9. But he says in in different places, Paul says, uh, I'm one that came out of time. In other words, I, I came later into this calling. In other places, he says, I'm not even qualified to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But he also said, I am what I am. And I'm the least of the apostles, but nonetheless, I am an apostle. And he says in verse number one, by the will of God, just to make sure everybody knows this was not his own idea or his own aspiration. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. An apostle meaning one sent. In Acts 9, the Lord told Paul, I will send you to the Gentiles, I'll send you to kings, I'll send you to the Jews. And sure, sure enough, Paul was sent out to be an apostle. And, and Timothy, our brother, so Paul and Timothy are working together, writing this letter to the church of Colossae. Colossae. Timothy is Paul's protege, his understudy. But here are two leaders working together, writing to this church. In verse number two, to the saints and to the faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Let me just clarify this. Uh, Having been brought up Roman Catholic, I always thought that saints were godly people that died, but had documented evidence of miracles in their lives that the church recognized as saints. That's what a saint was to me. I didn't realize when I started reading the epistles and any believer, dead or alive, any believer in Christ is called, referred to as a saint in the word of God. And so he's writing to the saints, those that are born again, the holy ones, the ones that are cleansed by the blood of Christ, the faithful brethren, those that are sold out to the Lord. And he says in verse number two, grace and peace 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I really want to start doing that. I want to start greeting people like grace and peace to you. Would that be cool? Someone do it to me one of these days. Just grace and peace. I mean, I'll receive it, believe me. But grace, unmerited blessing and favor from God, peace be on you, like, like Stacy's message that's still kind of reverberating in our spirit. Not passivity, but the power of God, the peace of God in the midst of your storm be upon you. Grace and peace be with you. A great Christian greeting. And he says, uh, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a, a Christian greeting. That's the way they would do it. And now verses 3 through 5 kind of go together. And this is like the crux of what Paul is saying. He says in verse number 3, two things in verse number 3. We give thanks to God for you, and we're praying always for you. Man, someone take that to the bank. Give thanks to God for everybody and pray for everybody. That's really good, isn't it? That's important to do. Verse number 4 says, we give thanks to God for you, and we pray for you, Ever since we heard of two things, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and of your love for all the saints. So we thank God for you. We pray for you. Because ever since we heard about your love for the Lord Jesus Christ and and, and your faith in the Lord and your love for the saints, we've been lifting you up in prayer. We've been thanking God for you. This is what I would call like a pure, holy, Christ-centered love that should be in operation in every fellowship. Instead of, do I need to say the, what I'm about to say? Instead of being critical, instead of judging somebody, instead of saying, what's the matter with them? You know what I mean? Just, just be thankful. I, I always say, Lord, I don't know what's going on with so-and-so, but I thank you they were in church today. I don't know what's going on. You know what's going on. And so I think just, I mean, this is what I mean. This is a picture of a New Testament church. They're thanking God for one another. They're praying for one another. They have a love for Jesus, a faith in Jesus, and a love for the brethren. Verses 3 and 4, really very, very important. So now... Verse number five, though, is where everything hinges. Because, in other words, we can give thanks to God. We can pray for you. You can have faith in Jesus and love the brethren all because of one thing. The hope which is laid up for you in heaven. I call that the hope of glory. In fact, this sermon is entitled The Hope of Glory. But because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Reiterating the idea that you don't need anything more than the gospel. That's what he's saying. That's why he wrote those other things in chapter 2. The gospel has the message of glorious hope in eternity with the Lord. So... Okay, verse 5. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Now that's another phrase that's kind of been echoing in my spirit. The word of the truth of the gospel. Can you remember the first time you really heard the word of the truth of the gospel? I can remember. It was like, like fireworks went off in my heart. Like, whoa, that's what that means? 
And he did that for me? That's why we say the gospel is good news. It's great news. So you heard this before, you got this, and this hope is in you. So therefore, you know, we have fellowship. You have hope and I have hope. What Paul is saying, we all have the same hope. We have the hope of glory in us. Because of that, we give thanks to God for you. We pray for you. We know that you love Jesus. You have faith in Jesus and you love the brethren. All because of one thing, this hope of glory that's in our hearts. And that's what unites Christians together. But it continues in verse 6. This hope of the glory has come to you. It's come to you. So it's a hope in heaven, but it's come to you here on earth. As it also has in all the world. As when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach this gospel. The word's going out to all the world. It's bringing forth fruit. As it is also among you since this day, since you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. Let me ask you, church, have you heard and do you know the grace of God in truth? Now, I'm using New King James, by the way. If you have NIV, it may be a little different, but I I like how it says this. Do you know the, the, uh, the, um, have you heard and do you know the grace of God in truth? You know, that's the gospel. That's the gospel that will change our lives. Now, verse number 7, he continues, As you learned from Epaphras. Oh, so it wasn't just like they had this experience. Well, they probably did have an experience with the Holy Spirit, but they had a teacher, they had a pastor, they had a leader, Epaphras. And and Paul gives them great uh, commendation, our, um, our dear fellow servant. Now, you know, if you know Paul... If he wasn't doing well, he would have said so, because he says that about other people, as John did with Diotrephes. Don't be Diotrephes. Remember? But, um, but here, you know, Epaphras, uh, dear fellow servant, um, who is a faithful minister of Christ. Faithful minister. Unfortunately, not every minister has been so faithful over the generations. But here, Paul's saying, Epaphras is, a, is a, a, a dear fellow servant and faithful minister, and he's teaching you. You learned from him. And he says in verse number 7, he's, he did it all on your behalf. He did this. He's doing this for you. I like that. Now, this is what I mean. This is a picture of a New Testament church. There's, there's order. There's, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's teaching going on. And then verse number 8 just kind of summarizes uh, Epaphras, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. We call that a testimony. Remember, uh, Demetrius had a good testimony in 3 John? Well, Epaphras has a good testimony. He brought a good testimony to Paul regarding the church of Colossae. So in this, these eight verses, we see a good picture of what a New Testament church would look like. Let me summarize it real quickly. Paul and Timothy are greeting the church as overseers, a warm greeting, thanking God for them, praying for them. Ever since they heard about their faith in Christ and their love for the brethren, they were united in spirit. And and all that was because of the hope of glory that was within them. They received the gospel. Hallelujah. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, I always love this verse. It says, for this reason, 
we give thanks to God without ceasing. For when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it as the word of God, not the word of man, which is able to work effectively in those who believe. I've been thanking God for people who receive the word of God. I've been thanking God for the privilege that I have, and many people here have the privilege of preaching and teaching the word of God. Do you know how special that is? That is an awesome calling and responsibility. But we thank God for people who receive the word of God as it is, the word of God, because it effectively works in those who believe. Powerful, powerful. And continuing and summering. And the church there is bearing fruit. Now, we don't know what kind of fruit they're bearing. But I would say they're probably maturing. They're growing. They're learning. They're, they're getting new converts to come. Numbers are probably increasing somewhat. They have a, a good leader in charge. They, they bring forth a good testimony. And this is what I would call a New Testament church. All these things working together. You have people, you have prayers, you have love, you have a history. Ever since we heard of you, we've been praying for you. They have a history. Uh, they, have a, they have overseers and a pastor. They have good and faithful people. They're in fellowship with God. They're in fellowship with one another. They have accountability and they have leadership. And it all hinges on one thing. They have this wonderful, powerful hope of glory working in their spirit. And that, that brings them unity. And that brings them authority to go forward in Christ. The hope of glory. Now let, me, let, me, let me give you a few things. In 1 John 3, 3, if you remember way back in October. But 1 John 3, 3, John's talking about the re- uh, return of Christ. We don't know what we're going to be like when he comes. We're going to be changed. We're going to be like him. But anyway, if we have this hope in us that he's coming, if we have this hope in us that he's coming, we purify ourselves. See, the hope of glory is a purifying element for us. If I can tell you, Jesus is coming this Tuesday at 3 o'clock, wouldn't you start purifying your life? Well, he might. (laughs) He might. It's a purifying element, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. In 1 Peter 3, 15, Peter writes, Always be ready to give a defense of the hope that is in you. So in this case, the, the, hope, is, the hope prepares us to say something on behalf of our Lord. We have this hope of glory. We better be ready to defend our faith. And then in one, uh, one uh, I'm sorry, Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Um, looking, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We live soberly. We live righteously. We live godly. We deny ungodliness and we, we deny worldly lust. So in this case, the hope of his appearing, the hope of glory purges us from the elements of the world around us. You see how this is working together? If we don't have the hope of glory, man, we might as well forget about it. But you can't be a Christian without the hope of glory. It comes with the territory. Let me put it that way. It, when you, now I didn't realize that back in the day. I didn't know all that, but I, I realize it now. When we receive Christ, we have a different master, let me tell you. We have a different authority altogether. We have a different leader. We have a different future. 
And all this is tied in together. When we die, we go to glory. You know, when, we, when our time is up, we go to glory. So the hope of glory, it's, it's, it, it changes us. And, and we can't live the same way that we used to live if we have this hope of glory. You know why? Because we'll, we'll protect it. We'll nurture it. We'll feed it. We'll take care of this gift that we have. Everything here in this world pales in comparison to what Jesus has for us on the other side. There's heaven and there's glory. Let's go over to Colossians 1, verse 27, just for a minute. Colossians 1, 27. To them, to the saints, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What he's saying is this promise, this beautiful thing was for the Jew first, but now it's for the Gentiles. Christ in you, Gentile, is the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So this is Paul's mission in life, to prepare the Gentiles for that hope of glory. So let me give you four aspects of this, okay? I don't want to be long with this, but I want to give you four things to think about. The the hope of glory, Colossians 1, 1 through 8. Number one is this. The hope of glory is only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no hope of glory in the world. There's no hope of glory in worldly pleasures. There's no hope of glory in sports, financial success, entertainment, uh, secular lifestyle, not in the flesh, not in sin, not in alcohol, drugs, or pornography, or gambling. There's no hope in that. There's no hope in that. You know that. But so many of us, you know, we either got out of that, or it's like the ball and chain is pulling us back to it. It's the very things that disrupt our walk with God. But there's no hope in that. In fact, if you've been there, you'll know that it's a, it's a, it's a time of... It's a time of being lost. It's a time of being unfulfilled. But the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not in new age. It's not in witchcraft. It's not in, not in white witchcraft. It's not in Satanism. It's not in dark beliefs or dark music or weird stuff. It's not in Islam. It's not in Krishna. It's not in smoking weed, may I tell you. Some people, Christians are saying, smoke weed. I I say, man, come on. Isn't the gospel enough for you? Oh, God made weed. You know what I say. God made poison ivy too. I don't see you rolling around with poison ivy. God made a lot of things. God made... So what? Think about it. Why would somebody smoke weed and not roll around in poison ivy? That's a good one. I've got to think about that. Because uh, they want to. That's why they want to. So I, ironically, though, the, the, this, this hope is only found in the gospel. Ironically, though, Paul says, this is foolishness to those that are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God into salvation. We say yes and Amen. But for those that are dying and going to hell, it's crazy. It's foolishness. Peter said, in spite of everything that you see around, you have an inheritance 
incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. In spite of what you may be thinking or seeing on earth, you have glory reserved for you in heaven. Paul said in another place in Romans 1, I love how he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I feel like the paraphrase would be, are you kidding me? How can I be ashamed of the gospel? It saved me. It's the power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. How can I be ashamed? I, I love the gospel. And Paul said to the Jew first and then the Gentile, well, you know, now the word's going out all, all over the world, but the gospel, the gospel is the, the place where the hope of glory is found and discovered. So that's number one. The hope of glory is only found in the gospel. You don't need anything else, church. You don't, you don't have to wait till you feel better. <laughs> Ain't gonna happen. <laughs> come to Jesus. You know, just come to Jesus. Come to the gospel. It's enough. The gospel is enough. Number two is this. <laughs> the hope of glory comes with protection. In other words, the Lord doesn't leave us on our own. It comes with protection. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like buying a gift and you have a warranty on the gift. We have something in this relationship where there's protection for us. Paul wrote about the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians. He said, the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. He's our seal. He seals the work of God in our lives. So, so we receive the hope of glory. Hallelujah. We're sealed. We're covered by the Holy Spirit. But not only that, the Lord has also provided a, another means for us to have protection. It's called spiritual leadership. Because there's... There's leadership, or there's uh, dark forces, there's demonic forces trying to interrupt what God started. So the Lord put in our lives a spiritual force, which is the Holy Spirit, but a people force, which is people called spiritual leaders for you and I. I thank God for the spiritual leaders I've had through the last 45 years of my life. I thank God for each one and every one of them. In this case, Verse number one, there's Paul, the apostle. There's Tim, the, the dear brother, Timothy, the dear brother. And there's Epaphras in verse seven, that was a pastor and a teacher. And so the Lord gave to the church a system or a structure. We call it the church. And the word of God, as we know from Hebrews, it's living and active and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, right? It pierces a soul and spirit, joints and marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And the word of God is like, is like covered or covered by the church. And through the church, the word of God is proclaimed through all the world. So this, this, this word resides in the church. It's taught, proclaimed, studied in the church. Why? Why is that? And why is everyone always saying you need to go to church? You know why? Because you need to go to church. Why? Because there are spiritual forces that want to ruin what God has started. There's our own fleshly desires that say being at the beach is better than being in church. I, I get that. But we, but we have church. God established church. It wasn't man's idea. It was God's idea. To protect and feed, come on, the hope that is in you. That's why. Why? Why do all this? 
You know, last week, Pamela and I had a glorious 45th wedding anniversary. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. But do you know the story? It was about seven, eight weeks before that that we became Christians. And so when we celebrate our anniversary, we also celebrate our whole, our whole time with the Lord. He's been so faithful. But I have to tell you, we, now I had my first pastor, Pastor Jerry. He'd call me up and say, Rick, you got to get to church. Yeah, yeah, I got a lot of studying. I got it. No, no, you got to get to church. Yeah, so far away. No, you got to get to church. So guess what I did? We went to church. Sunday night? No, no, no. That's what we do if we don't go on Sunday morning. We go Sunday night. We don't do both. No, no, now you do both. Wednesday night? Oh, man. But see, I, I learned you have to be in the house of God. You have to be in the atmosphere where teaching's going on. Listen, I, I'm not bragging. I'm, I'm bragging on the Lord. But for 45 years, we've been serving Jesus Christ. How do you think that happens? You think we're so strong and so good? We're not. But I'll tell you what, if I wasn't, I always say this, if I wasn't pastor, I'd be in church somewhere. I know the power of a church that's preaching the word of God. We have to be in the realm of the church. It's God's idea of protecting the hope of glory that is in us. Come on. Come on. Hebrews 13 says, we have spiritual leaders that watch out for your souls. Oh, really? You mean they're not just being nosy? No. They're watching out for your souls. And they have to give an account to God for how you're doing. How would you like to have that responsibility? Ephesians 4 says, Jesus gave to the church, the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists and the pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So yeah, there's, there's protection for the body of Christ. There's, a, there's, a, there, there's a, the shepherd of our souls, Jesus, but then there's the under-shepherd of the local church and different leaders. So the hope of glory only comes through the gospel. And, and the hope of glory comes with a, a protective element to it. But here's the, the clincher. You have to surrender to that. No one's going to make you surrender to that. That's where your will comes in. I've known many people that never surrendered to it. And you know what? I don't know where in the world they are right now. But I know many people that have surrendered to that, to the, to the word of God, and guess where they are? They're in churches. They're leading different ministries. They're involved. They're doing things for the Lord. They're what you would call stable because they received the protection that God has for them. Okay, let me do number three real quick. Number three is this. The hope of glory actually creates an army that's ready for battle. We have a mutual enemy of our souls. His name is Satan or Lucifer. He's a fallen angel of light and his cohorts. But we have strength in numbers. God plus one is the majority and there's power. But God with many yielded hearts brings forth a powerful anointing. Jesus said, whenever two or three are gathered in his name, I'm there in the midst of you. Jesus, he called the 12 apostles, right? He called the 70 together, sent out the 120. 3,000 got saved on the day of Pentecost. But here in, in, this, in this first eight verses, we see that there's an army being established. There's leadership with Paul and with Timothy, verses 1 and 2. Verse number 3, there's prayers being lifted up. There's spiritual warfare going on. When you read verse number 3, right, we give thanks to God 
to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying for you always. That, verse number three, is a battle cry. Someone standing in the gap saying, Father God, I thank you for brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. You have to know that's valuable in God's kingdom. We're thanking, Lord, we thank you for this one and that one. And, and Lord, we, we uh, in verse number three, we, we continue to pray for one another. That is warfare, church. Absolutely warfare. Someone's got to stand in the gap. And thank you, those of you that are getting up early to pray with me. I, I really do appreciate it. We're on two weeks now. I think the number is up to 36. So I'm, I'm, I don't know, I mean, I know who you are, but I don't know, I don't know what you're doing. But I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm believing that you're praying with me early in the morning before your day begins. I'm doing it by the grace of God. And I'm trusting others to join me in that. But anyway, it, it's warfare because we are an army. Let me say this. This morning, something unusual happened. Worship took on a life. Was I the only one that felt that, by the way? Did you felt it? Did you feel it? Come on, talk to me. Did you feel the Holy Spirit today? I felt the Holy Spirit. But sometimes I can't go by me because I get wrapped up in everything. But I, I want you to bear witness. God was in the place. Well, how do you think that happens? Do you think that maybe it has something to do with 35 people praying every day for the last two weeks? I have to think that. So please continue and join us if you haven't. So we have an army. Verse number four. uh, We heard of your faith. Faith. We heard of your love for the brethren. These are elements that create unity within the army. Verse seven. We have leaders. Leadership. Verse eight. We have good testimony. People that speak well of us. You know how valuable that is in an army? If there's not unity in an army, that guy's going out. If there's some rebellion or some things going on, that one's going out. But in the army of the Lord, there's got to be a, a unity. Psalm 123, 133. Oh, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 12 says this. In the church, there are apostles and prophets and teachers and miracles and healings and helps and administrators and tongues. 1 Corinthians 14, let all things be done decently and in order. But there's an army going on. And more gets accomplished when there's an anointing and there's an order involved. I would encourage you, church, to find your place, find your, your, your position, uh, find your, your gifts, and, and find the lane that you need to be in and yield to it. Discover your grace gifts in Romans chapter 12. Let me give you number four, and we're going to wrap this up. When we have the hope of glory in our heart, in our spirit, we can't help but bear fruit. It comes with the territory. The Word of God is living. If our relationship with God is alive and we're pursuing God and we're growing and changing and developing, there's, there, there will definitely be good fruit in our lives. Jesus said in John 15, Jesus is the vine, the Father's the vine dresser, and we're the branch. And he prunes us that we may bear fruit. John 15, 8 says, uh, By this all will know that you're my disciples, that you bear good fruit. And, and thus, you know, bless the Lord. 
So Colossians 1, 6, uh, this gift has come to you, as has also in all the world, is bringing forth fruit. You know, the fruit that we need to be seeing in our lives, evangelizing, uh, sharing our faith with others, uh, bringing converts to Christ, uh, defeating strongholds in our lives, uh, defeating demonic forces, being people of integrity, letting our yes be yes and our no be no. So we're, we're becoming more Christ-like. We're bearing fruit. Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Self-control. Amen. Galatians 5.25 says, if we live in the Spirit, and we're, we're Christians, so we're living in the Spirit, but Paul says something really interesting. If, if we live in the Spirit, he says, let us walk in the Spirit. That means get your head out of the clouds and start living it out in real life. Oh, I'm, I'm Spirit-filled. Pass the beer. I don't think so. If we live in the Spirit, Let's walk in the Spirit. If we're like, okay, I know everything there is to know about this, up here, let it get down to your feet and live it out in real life. Amen. Amen. So, how is the fruit in your life, church? Is the hope of glory pronounced in your heart, in your life, in your thoughts? Is the hope of glory the fire in you. It should be. You have the hope of glory. It should be a fire in your spirit. It should be obvious. It should be a part of you. The results of bearing good fruit, and we're talking about adding things to our lives, how about subtracting things from our lives? Like sins that have plagued us for the last 20 years. How about uh, meanness? How about a sharp tongue? How about a bad attitude? That was always a big phrase in my home. Got a bad attitude. <laughs> ah, what do you mean I got a bad attitude? See what I mean? <laughs> How you doing? Fine. Ah. See, when you, when, you're, when you have the hope of glory, those things start to drop off. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day, but, you know, it was finished at one point. <laughs> uh, so sins drop off, and we, we discover our gifts. You know why? Because, in other words, we, we, like, we take off the mask. And here we are, like in James, we're looking in the mirror. We're seeing ourselves as we really are through the Word. And now we can, now we can find out what God really wants from us. Up until then, man, we had on blocks. We had on shades like this thick. You know, no one's going to look into my eyes. But see, when you have the hope of glory, you can't stay like that. The hope is going to dissipate. I'll guarantee it. But if you feed your spirit with the word of God and, and all these things, God will fine-tune who, who you are and what you're supposed to be doing. The question is, are you ready for that? Because, as the scripture says, coming into the presence of God is an awesome thing. It's a, we have a fear of God, a healthy fear and respect of God. It's an awesome thing to come into the presence of a living God. 
It is. But how much better is that than coming into the presence of our own flesh and our own worldliness, not to mention demonic forces? So I would summarize here. The hope of glory. Yes, the hope of glory is Jesus' return, our, our position in heaven. But as we, as we hear, heard it already, we have that hope now. Hallelujah. Why, why do you think Christians have done such great things over the last 2,000 years? I mean, like evangelizing, missionaries, building hospitals, doing things for the poor. All these great things Christians have done. Why? Because they have a hope of glory in their heart. It's a life changer. It's an absolute life changer. So here are, the, here are the four things. The hope of glory is only found in the gospel. The hope of glory comes with a built-in system of protection. The hope of glory is creating an army of the Lord. And the, ho- uh, the hope of glory produces fruit within us. Why don't we stand together? I want to read verses 3, 4, and 5. <clears throat> but some of you may not have... Can you, can you get it up there in the New King James? If possible. Colossians 1, 3, 4, and 5. <laughs> well, that, I'm going to read it, then maybe we, we can read it together. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Amen. I'll read it one more time. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Okay, let's do this again. Starting at verse number three. (laughs) All together. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before, in the word of the truth of the gospel. Amen. Every head bowed real quickly here. Does anybody want to receive this hope of glory right now? Maybe you had it and lost it. Maybe you're far away. Maybe you know, but you don't know. You're not sure. But before we close out today, just raise your hand if you want to receive Christ and the hope of glory in your heart. Anyone at all? Anyone at all? (laughs) Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's pray this. What can I say?
Take it all now. Lay it down in the name of Jesus. All I am is yours. Hallelujah. Oh, cleanse us, Lord Jesus, right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. All I am, all I am is yours. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes. I'm going to pray for you. And uh, you'll be dismissed to go. I think there's some fellowship prepared in the, in the cafe. I want to play the role of Epaphras right now, verse 7 and 8. I want you to know I speak well of this church. I do. I'm happy with this church. I'm happy for people that do this and linger in God's presence. Hear the word of God. Come ready to worship God. I speak well of this church. I do. Dear Father, Lord, thank you for this day. This has been a great day in your house. And thank you, Lord, for the dear saints that are praying every morning. Lord, I know 
it's having an effect. And thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that, that this fellowship, just like the church in, of the Colossians, that this fellowship would be exactly what you want it to be. Let some of these principles we talked about be so evident in our lives. Namely, let the hope of glory be pronounced in our conversation. Lord, some of us need to be reminded of the hope of glory because we're so bogged down with the yes. burdens of yes. today, Jesus. we don't even think about the hope of glory. Help us, Lord. We think about paying the rent or, yes. or getting medicine. We think about oh, doing up, things. Lord, let us have a resurgence, Hallelujah. a re-emphasis of, of the hope that is deep within yes. our hearts, yes. not for anything we've done, but for the gift of God that you've given to us. Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the hope of glory. And let us be ready, always looking for the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, the blessed hope. Let us be ready, O oh God, in the midst of all the worldliness and all the tensions and all the struggles of life all around us. May we as your church be ready. We thank you for it. Father, I pray your blessing over everyone. I pray your blessing over those on the live stream, those that will be watching later in the week. Pray, Lord, for every home that's represented here to be filled with the presence of God and with the hope of glory. Let it change us, Lord. Let it strengthen us today and throughout this season. We give you all thanks and all praise for these things now. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I think we'll, we'll just worship a little bit. If you got to go, God bless you. If you want to stay for altar time, that's fine too.